you can take the blood of a young mouse and inject that into an old mouse and sort of rejuvenate this old mouse. Especially from our interest, uh, from our perspective, you can rejuvenate the brain. The mice become smarter again. They have less inflammation. Their stem cells start to make new neurons again. And overall, the animal uh, does better, suggesting that these factors that accumulate with age uh, are detrimental and they could potentially be exchanged. It, it's even possible to reverse aging. We know from um, a Nobel Prize work by Shinya Yamanaka, who um, about 15 years ago, so maybe 20 years ago, showed that you can take any cell of your body, and this is often done with skin cells, and you can reprogram them to age zero. You can make a stem cell out of these cells. So you can completely erase all the age that has accumulated in a cell, in a dish, and make it age zero again. Welcome to Dream Again Podcast. I'm your host, Krina, and I'm a seeker, entrepreneur, and a clear example that all your dreams can become true. I have conversations with amazing guests weekly to inspire you to live your most beautiful, healthy, and joyful life. And now, let's get to my conversation for today. Hello, my dreamers. Today, I am thrilled to have Professor Tony Wiscoray with us, a renewed expert from Stanford University who is revolutionizing our understanding of aging. His groundbreaking research, which recently graced the cover of Nature's magazine, reveal a fascinating concept. Our organs each have their own clocks that offers insights into the aging process and help predict diseases like heart failure or Alzheimer's. This innovative approach stems for his study of blood proteins associated with different organs, highlighting that each organ ages at his own pace. In his lab, Professor Wiz Corey and his team delve into the mysterious of brain aging, investigating why it leads to memory issues and conditions such as Alzheimer's. One of their most remarkable findings is the potential for young blood to rejuvenate older brains, suggesting a promising avenue for reversing some effects of aging. They employ a variety of scientific techniques to explore how our body communicates with our brains throughout our lives. But Professor Wiscoray's influence extends far beyond his lab. He has shared his pioneering discoveries on prestigious platforms such as TED Talks and the World Economic Forum, earning recognition in Time Magazine's list of people transforming healthcare. His entrepreneurial spirit has also led him to found companies dedicated to tracking brain diseases and his contribution to science have been honored with numerous awards. In our discussions today, and I want to mention that this discussion I recorded a few months ago, we have a few very strong takeaways 
Um, and I think one of the most important one is how important is our lifestyle, that it's really, really life-changing, such as exercise and social connections that plays a significant role in maintaining good health and slowing down the aging process. So without further ado, let's start my conversation with Professor Tony Wies Corey. I think we will start to be able to slow down aspects of aging, potentially even reverse them, to hopefully have people not live longer, but live healthier until they die. Sort of what a lot of centenarians, people who live to 100 years, many of them are quite healthy. Now, they're not running around like spring chickens. But they don't have these age-related diseases. Many of them are quite in good shape. They can live independent. They are just healthy. And so we know that this is possible with the human body. I was interested in how the immune system works in the brain or how the immune system of the body interacts with the brain. Um, and that was in part because... Um, very little was known when I when I uh, entered my career. It was known that in in a disease called multiple sclerosis that that many of you may know that the immune system seems to attack uh, parts of the insulation that nerve cells use to communicate with each other, and people get paralyzed uh, over time, and that's as a result of the immune system attacking basically itself. It's called this an autoimmune disease. But other than that, there wasn't really that much known of how the immune system may interact with the brain and how that changes with age. And I was particularly interested in uh, Alzheimer's disease and age-related neurodegeneration because there were indications that these old brains looked inflamed, that there was some sort of an inflammation taking place, but it wasn't clear what, what this was and whether it was to some extent beneficial or detrimental. And so that's uh, where we started to use models to, to understand that, but then also brain tissue from people who passed away from disease. And we really were interested in how the the immune system in the rest of the body interacts with the brain. And that led us to study the blood and the composition of the blood to see whether changes in the blood could tell us something about changes in the brain. And um, we discovered that, first of all, as people get older, as animals get older, the composition of their blood, specifically uh, proteins in the blood, and there's thousands of different ones, they change dramatically as you get older. In fact, they change so much that we can take a blood sample from a person and we can tell you pretty much um, with pretty high accuracy how old you are approximately within a few years. And we think that difference actually tells us whether you're aging faster or slower than the average. But these changes. Um, suggested that the body lives in a really different environment and also the brain, because the brain is, of course, very highly vascularized, uses 
a large amount of the blood every second blood pumps through the brain and the, the brain is the, one of the most highly demanding organs in, in terms of, of blood supply. So the question was, if the composition of the blood changes that dramatically with age, how does that affect the brain? And is it possible that if we would change the composition of the blood from an old organism back to a young that that would actually be beneficial. And that's indeed what we found. We found that you can take the blood of a young mouse and inject that into an old mouse and sort of rejuvenate this old mouse, especially uh, from, from our interest, uh, from our perspective, you can rejuvenate the brain. The mice become smarter again. They have less inflammation. Their stem cells start to make new neurons again, and overall the animal uh, does better, suggesting that these factors that accumulate with age uh, are detrimental and they could potentially be exchanged. And that was really, I think, the biggest discovery that we made about, it's almost 10 years ago now when we published uh, this. And since then, we have really tried to understand how does this work and translate it to humans. That's really impressive and congratulations for that. I mean, it's really revolutionary what you are saying now. Where we are now with the research, like now um, you move from the, from, from the mouses into, into the human beings. Yeah, so the mouse studies, um, and we were not the only one who, who, who did these, we were the first one to study the brain. But a good friend of mine, Tom Randall, who is also here at Stanford, first tested this effect in, on the muscle because he was interested in muscle uh, degeneration with aging. And he could show that young blood can rejuvenate old muscle in mice. But we were really interested in potentially translating that to humans and started a company it's called Alcahest um, after Paracelsus, who is actually um, uh, hails from, from Switzerland. And Paracelsus uh, was the first to describe sort of that the, the dose of something makes it a poison or um, a treatment, uh, a beneficial treatment. He was, um, was, he was also an alchemist and, and thought that if you can figure out the composition of something, you can put it back together. And, and understand its individual components. And um, that inspired, that, that uh, thinking inspired me to use that same name because when we look at blood, as I mentioned before, there's thousands and thousands of different components, different proteins, but also other types of molecules, and of course, blood cells. And it's almost like, you know, you could call it the elixir of life, um, the, 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 the essence of life. And people, of course, always put a, a very special notion to blood. And, and, and there are all kinds of, uh, of stories about rejuvenation and fresh blood, young blood, and things like that in, in, in every language. Um, but what we try to do is really to, to see whether we can take this complex mixture and put it into individual parts, understand which parts are detrimental, which parts are beneficial. 
And by starting a company, we could start testing this um, in humans and and really see whether whether this is potentially translatable. And so uh, thus far, we have been able to, first of all, work with um, another company that is in um, what is called the blood plasma business. So they collect blood donations from from volunteers and then they make blood products that uh, patients may need who have no antibodies that are immunodeficient, for example, or that um, are uh, hemophiliacs that you know, where they, where their blood um, doesn't coagulate, so they get uh, this factor eight that is missing. Um, and with them together, we were able to look at different components of the blood, and we found one fraction um, of the blood that uh, went into uh, two clinical trials now one in Alzheimer's disease and one in Parkinson's disease. And, uh, and they look promising. They're, they're not yet at the stage where we have uh, enough data for clinical approval, but they look quite promising um, at this early stage. But do you believe that we can reverse the aging process? That's a great question. And it's almost a philosophical question. First of all, you know, what is aging and why do we age? Yeah, exactly. Why do we age? I wanted to ask you that. Why do we age? And I would love a formula, something that we can just do something that we are not aging or at least, I don't know. Slowing um, it down, yeah. Slowing yeah. down, exactly. Yeah. But please tell me, I, I think the, everyone wants to hear this uh, this answer from you. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, we don't have an answer really why we age. Um, the best answer we have is, first of all, um, there's pretty good evidence that there is no genetic program of aging. So it's not written in our DNA that we are supposed to age or that we are supposed to die after 40 or 50 years on the planet. Um, we haven't found such evidence in, and when I say we, the scientific community, uh, in any organism, whether it's a fly. A lot of studies have been done with flies to study aging, um, with worms even, um, with mice. There is no gene that causes aging. So the best explanation is we age like a car ages. If if you produce a model car, right, you the factory produces tens of thousands of the same model, and um, you hope they don't put something in there that makes the car break down after 10 years. We don't think they do. Um, so if that car is being produced, you know, it has a certain lifespan that is determined by how much it is used, how much wear and tear. Uh, oxidation, you know, from the environment, depending on where you live, maybe it's salt that destroys, you know, the, the, the car. And some cars will last only for a short time and some part breaks and you, you basically throw them away. And others um, live very long and you can keep them for, you know, 30, 40 years, uh, especially conditions are ideal, such as here in California, 
you see some cars that you know are 40, 50 years old and are being driven all the time. So, so the best explanation is that aging of biological systems is similar. It's it's based on first of all the purpose of the organism, and you know this is really speaking in a strictly biological sense is to reproduce and maintain the species. That's what we call the evolutionary pressure uh, to is to survive, and based on the the organism and and this evolutionary pressure, the species needs to live a certain amount of time to reproduce. Some species can reproduce very quickly. So then, if the the the, the offspring is independent, the parents are essentially no longer needed. Humans have a very low reproduction period, and it's about thirty to forty years until the next generation is really completely independent. And so after that period of time, after in humans, after 30 to 40 years, you really start to see at the molecular level um, very profound changes of aging occur. Those are not usually felt as a person yet, and they're not even observed that much typically. But molecularly, in the composition of blood, we actually see dramatic changes at around 30 to 40 years of age. And then after that, most um, organs, most tissues start to show clear signs of aging that uh, continue until, you know, average lifespan is now 80 years of age. So 50 p- 50% of the population will be will be dead at age 80 and then it goes very fast down average uh, maximum lifespan is maybe 110 120 but um why we age is is really i think mostly due to the environment and uh, and the use wear and tear of of the organism now, your second question was, can we slow down or reverse this process? Um, I think we will be able to. And again, this is completely technical. And this has, of course, a lot of ethical and moral implications. But if we think about a system that would last forever, then I think it would be a system that can self-renew a biological system. If you take a rock, for example, even though it seems a rock lives for a long time, it doesn't last forever. Uh, it, the, the elements will ultimately put it into sand, and then maybe through pressure it becomes a rock again. But um, everything on this planet eventually um, ends and degrades, except life. Life is a biological system that can reproduce and can basically maintain itself. Now, it's not in the same organism, but we know that the the germ cells, so the sperm and the egg, they, by definition, they have age zero when a new human being is being generated, right? Because every generation, the child starts at age zero. So that means somehow the biological system 
even in a human, is able to keep the reproductive cells without aging. And we're still trying to figure out how this works, but there seems to be a way that these cells can maintain themselves um, in a very pristine condition or that they can actually erase at the time before they fuse and form a new organism, that they can erase aspects of aging. And so the basic question whether age could be extended and a biological system can be maintained so that it doesn't age is yes. Um, it, it's even possible to reverse aging. We know from um, a Nobel Prize work by Shinya Yamanaka, who um, about 15 years ago, so maybe 20 years ago, showed that you can take any cell of your body, and this is often done with skin cells, and you can reprogram them to age zero. You can make a stem cell out of these cells. So you can completely erase all the age that has accumulated in a cell, in a dish, and make it age zero again. So in principle, it is possible to erase age, to reverse age, or to maintain something at the same age. Now, technically, it's not possible to do this in a complex organism yet. And we may never be able to do it entirely. We may be able to do aspects of it, but because a complex organism such as a human, especially a human brain, they're so complex that it may be challenging to completely maintain them at, uh, at the same age or erase um, all aspects of aging again. A long answer. No, but I think uh, it's a very important one, and uh, I'm happy to hear that it's a possibility. So, <laughs> thank you so much for that. I'm very curious to um, to know your opinion about how important is the whole aging, reversing aging um, process. How do you think it's um, the lifestyle important into that? What you eat, sport. How important are those parts? Yeah, I think, again, coming back to the analogy of the car, you can destroy a car pretty quickly by, you know, abusing it. And, and I think you can destroy a human body um, by abusing it and age faster. And that abuse can, of course, we wouldn't call it abuse, but a disease also ages the body. Often people who have chronic diseases age faster, or even infectious diseases. People with HIV, they, they tend to age faster um, on average if we look at their tissues. Um, so at the same time, you can, you can live a healthy life and by exercising, for example, eating healthy food, um, it, there's pretty good evidence, even from animal studies, that this maintains the body at a, at a healthier, um, you know, state. And by definition, that slows down the aging process to some extent. It's not dramatic. And, of course, you still 
have a set of genes that you cannot change. And while there's no gene that tells the body to age, the genes you have determine how you respond to the challenges around you. So I'm not sure if that makes sense, but there are people who have better repair processes than others. And you might see this most obviously in the skin. So there's people who can repair their skin um, up to a very old age, very efficiently. And they have smooth and, and, and young skin. And others can't do that. And their skin ages much faster. And while exposure to sun, for example, could accelerate the aging process, you're still, you know, to, to a large extent limited by the genes that you have been given, how you respond to the environments. So you can, for, for the body you have, for the genes you have, you can definitely have an impact on how you, how much you, you know, accelerate the aging process or potentially slow it down. But maybe that's within a few years. That, that you can manipulate there. And it's, it's, it's definitely not decades because we know from, you know from large population studies where people don't have time to care what they eat because they just have to survive, that it does not matter that much uh, what the average lifespan is. Now, that doesn't mean you should not care about it again because in a, um, an advanced society where you have the the luxury to take care of your body. You can, as I said, probably affect this about a few years, and then especially also how healthy you are before you die. And that's of course one of the things that we hope to to target first, sort of what we call health span rather than uh, lifespan. So you mentioned that the genes are very important. You mentioned that um, this is basically part of it, but after that, it's what you eat. Uh, the sun can influence. Is it something else that we can add on the list that could influence the aging? Yeah, so what, what people find, especially in, in old individuals, those who live to a very long Life. They often have a strong social network and social bonds. And people who are isolated and alone, they tend to get depressive. They don't see a sense in their life anymore. And that affects the immune system. It affects the body and it becomes uh, susceptible to other diseases and ages much faster. And people often die. We, need, we all know these stories where a couple lives together and one of them dies and then soon after the other one dies as well. Why would that be? It is often because they were so connected, um, dependent on each other and connected in a good way, yeah. but maybe also to an extent where they had no contact with other people or very little that their life basically ended when their partner left and they didn't see a sense in, in, in living anymore. So maybe that is even a bigger driver, in, especially in humans. In animals, we can't test that. But in humans, 
the the spirit, how we call it, or the you know the the energy to live and the the outlook on life is so incredibly important. If people are depressed, they become susceptible to diseases, and again, that accelerates aging and uh, can lead to cancer, but also to other chronic diseases and shortens lifespan. So maybe that's actually the biggest factor. And that's, of course, hard to manipulate because it's, again, to some extent in your genes, what your overall sort of outlook is on life. There are people who are very outgoing and enthusiastic and they have a lot of joy of life or however you want to call it. And others are maybe more subdued and, and more cynical or depressed. And, and to some extent, that's who we are or maybe even how we grew up and who um, sort of how childhood imprinted our brains and, and how we see the world. That's, um, that's terrible because keeping the consideration the actual situation that we are now when we are more and more isolated. Right, yeah. No, I think it, it certainly is, is, uh, is not helping. It certainly is not helping people who are already isolated in you know, retirement homes and then they can't even see their family anymore you know, to, to maintain sort of the will to live um, is, is very hard in, in that situation. But also for anybody else, of course, um, who uh, doesn't have contact anymore or has to limit contact um, very strongly now. Yeah, we're not made for that. That's for sure. We're a social animal, as they say. I saw uh, one of your presentation that um, you um, you think that uh, around uh, 2030 there will be 75 million Alzheimer's worldwide. Yeah. And for me, this it was like a, like a shock number. Can you develop a little bit more about this topic? Yeah. So Alzheimer's disease is a is a disease of the aging brain. There's there's two forms principally. There's one that is a genetic form where people have a mistake in in their DNA and as a consequence they develop this disease anywhere from age 25 to 60 or 70. And there's there's maybe one in a thousand, one in ten thousand people, roughly, has the, these genetic forms of Alzheimer's disease. Everybody else has um, the non-genetic form, and that's very strongly age-dependent. There's some genetic risk factors that we know that increase your risk by up to tenfold uh, to get the disease. But it's really a disease of the old, of the elderly, and because the fastest segment of the population worldwide are older people, people above 65, um, there's just many more people around uh, who live to become susceptible to this disease. And in the past, um, you know, if you look at life expectancy, um, especially in um, less uh, developed nations, most people would not 
live that long that they would uh, ever get this disease. And so it was simply not known. But as we all live longer, um, we come, unfortunately, highly susceptible to losing um, our cognitive abilities. And um, as as that progresses, it becomes a, a really a disease that we call dementia um, or a symptom that we call dementia, where you can't um, you can't actually interact with with people anymore in the end, and you you can't make any new memories, and you you really can't function anymore. But it's not it's not that this is a new disease. It's just well, it is new in a way, but it's because we live long enough to experience it. It's like um, many other age-related diseases that were much less common because people didn't live that long. So it's simply a number game because more people live to an old life, more will have Alzheimer's disease if we don't have a treatment. Let's move a little bit into the more optimistic way. How do you see the future, let's yeah. say in 2050, into the most optimistic side? If we say optimistic, how we will be in 2050? Yeah, so from an age, from an aging perspective, from a health perspective. Exactly. You, you're asking. Um, Correct. And that's, of course, yeah. And, and even here, I'm, I'm reading tea leaves. I think... We have made incredible progress over the past 10 years in, in our understanding of biological processes because of, of huge technological advances um, and also computational advances that allow us to look at ever larger um, sets of, of biological data. As we wrap up this incredibly insightful episode, I want to extend my helpful thanks to Professor Tony Wiz Corey for joining us and sharing his groundbreaking work. Tony, your dedication to uncovering the mysterious of aging and your optimistic outlook on future of health research have truly inspired me. Thank you for being part of our journey to understand more about our health and how we can positively impact our aging process. To you, my dear friends, the one that you are listening now, let's take a moment to reflect on one of the key messages from today's conversation. Even on those days when we might feel a bit lazy, it's important to push ourselves to get out and engage in some form of physical activity. Let's not forget the power of working on our social connections. These aspects of our lives offer us so much more than just benefits in the present moment. They've investments in our future well-being, slowing down the aging process and enriching our lives in countless ways. As we look forward, I can't help but feel excited about the future of aging research. We are living in an amazing time where the potential to reverse aging is becoming more of a reality thanks to the advance in science. The work of researchers like Tony Wiscoray is paying the way for us to not only extend our lifespan, but to ensure those extra years are filled with health and vitality. Until the next episode, I'm Krina, and you've been listening to the podcast Dream Again. 
please check the show notes in the description for more insights. You can also subscribe to my newsletter at krinaokumus.com to get additional information. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and family on social media. I will also appreciate if you would leave a review on the Apple podcast. I love to get your inputs as this will help us to understand how can we support you in your journey. And don't be afraid to share your story with us. We are all here together. And remember, it is time to dream again. It is time.